welcome to another episode of the Heck Yeah Comics Podcast with your hosts, David and Nick. In this episode, we go to infinity and beyond. Get ready for more X-Men, become a creature of the night, and count down on the doomsday clock. Stay tuned for all this and more! Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Heck Yeah Comics Podcast. Here we are, post-Thanksgiving. We hope that you had a good one. I'm David. That's Nick. You're the listening audience, and this is the podcast where we talk about comic books and the latest news, do some reviews, all that good stuff. Eventually, Nick will say something, I'm sure. But in the meantime, guys, let's dish. I just want to hear about your day. Uh-huh. Well, uh, I mean, I, I I, was trying to consider how long I could go without talking. I thought people were really well, Nick, clamoring Nick, for that was, one time. Nick, you I, know, you, I, was, I, was, I was talking to the audience. You just rudely interrupted them, telling me how their day was going. Oh, I'm, I'm sorry. Hold on. Let me, I'll, uh, I'll shut up. Uh, right. Sorry. Take it away. Take it away, audience. Sorry. Please go ahead. Uh-huh. No. Well, what did you say? Well, what did they say? Ugh, that Karen. Whew. Uh, anyway, Nick, welcome to the show. Oh, oh, thanks. Yeah, the show that I only co-host on, you know, occasionally. Oh, okay. Are you are you still all up about the John R. Cootie interview? What? I was never upset about that. I simply said a lot of passive-aggressive things <laughs> to upset you. That was it. That was it. Totally innocent. Totally innocent. It was a good interview. Thank you. You know, well, uh, I'm glad I'm glad it happened. I'm just, you know, clearly things are just better off without me. Oh, so. shush. Nick, you're going to be there for our next interview, which I'm going to go ahead and announce right now. We'll be with Meredith McLaren. Uh, we will probably put that one up. Uh, on Christmas time when there will be more traveling, but I promise we will not just be doing interviews during holiday breaks. It just happens to be that time of year where it works out really well to release them on holiday breaks. Nick, I look, it, we're, we're, we're working with a new format. We're still testing things out. I'm not, I'm not upset. I'm happy that the show is trying out new things and I'm just simply a very insecure and petty person that likes to bring other people down to my level. That's it. That is how's, totally, totally How's that innocent. going for you? Uh, I mean, like people are a lot more resilient than I, than I thought. Like, so no, nah, I'm still pretty lonely down here at the bottom, oh, but what can you do? What can yourself. you do? Yep. <laughs> Nick happens to be all by himself. Uh, what yeah. I'm singing all What's by that? myself, but I'm putting, oh. I'm making it about you. Oh, something's finally about me. That feels so good. <laughs> no, but for real, everyone, I'm fine. Don't worry about me. Yeah. Um, that was cool. So, David, uh, Thanksgiving, uh, you mm. went to New York. Yes. So, why don't you tell us a little bit about your New York uh, soiree, 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 
Oh, oh boy. It? I don't think the word even applies anyway, but go ahead and nope. tell us about uh, it. No, it was a good time. Went there uh, during Thanksgiving week and uh, went, saw a Broadway show, went to a bunch of museums, ate a lot of good food, saw the Macy's Thanksgiving Day Parade. It was just, it was a whirlwind of events, really. Do you feel more compelled to buy stuff from Macy's as a result of participating in their advertisement? No, I mean, not any more than somebody who is sitting at home watching it would. It's like, it, there's a couple balloons that say Macy's, but it's not like people are walking by in the latest Macy's fashion trends. No, there's just giant balloons of the Red Power Ranger, and it's awesome. I bet that made you very happy. It did. did you see the SpongeBob musical performance, though? No, I did not know that that was a play until I, I got there. I was so upset. I would have. We went and saw Aladdin, and that was it. Was fine. It was oh, good. Aladdin, Aladdin, just a hallmark, you know, Disney production slash, you know, old like fairy tale story and all that. But, but can it really compare to SpongeBob SquarePants? I think not. I think actually. So okay, look, I liked Aladdin on stage. It was just. It felt. Uh, did you like it a lot were you trying to make an aladdin a lot joke there because that did not work i'm so alone uh okay it uh it was like very entertaining but it wasn't like you know the lion king uh which it's difficult like it's just it was a good production but i wasn't like oh that story you know the acting really got in my heart and like they had they had the actual voice of jafar from the movie as jafar uh but just his voice not the actor no the actor oh <laughs> but they, <laughs> they, they they took his voice and just know, they, so jafar you know jafar in the movie is very slow and methodical but in this play they were directing everything to be very just like quick and just keep going which i get it this is you know there there's kids in the audience you have to keep this a tight two hours uh but everyone was just talking so fast, like jokes didn't have time to land. Things were just going, going, going. So like Jafar didn't always sound like Jafar because he wasn't like taking the time with the lines to really draw it out. Hmm, That's interesting. Yep. Uh, I still say one of my biggest regrets is not seeing the Spider-Man musical. I, I am okay with never seeing that. I think it's playing in Las Vegas. Ooh, when we go to Las Vegas next year, we should see it. Las Vegas. Lot. Did I say last? No, Las you Vegas? said Las Vegas, but I think we refer to it as Last Vegas. Last. Our uh, Last Vegas. Yeah, because it's yeah. also, I mean, cool, you mentioned my trip to New York, but you haven't mentioned my birthday yet. Whew. The, what was I, was that, let's, how was your just, birthday? You know, let's, just, let's just go ahead and talk about the news. Our top story today. <laughs> After a disappointing <laughs> summer, Humpty Dumpty has a great fall. Well, something that did not come out as a result of my birthday, but is still an exciting gift to the world, is the Avengers Infinity War trailer. This was released this morning. What? Passive aggressive. Nothing. Yeah, no, the trailer was super cool. There was like explosions and purple people, or like a purple Bruce Willis, really. It uh, really like, was purple Bruce it's, Willis. It's like, I know it's Josh Brolin, but Josh I think Brolin? Josh. You said Josh. Josh. You said Josh. No, I said Josh. You Josh, said Josh. Josh Whedon and Josh, Josh Brolin, Brolin had a baby. Become, they did like they a merged. Dragon Ball fusion dance fusion, and then huh? became Josh Brolin. Mm-hmm. Um, no, but yeah, that I'm pretty sure they have secretly replaced Josh Brolin and have put Bruce Willis in his Thanos, which is really not actually that bad of an idea. 
actually I'm kind of into it now that we're talking about it. <laughs> uh, yeah, so Yippee we Kaye, mother Avengers. Um, so yeah, yeah. The, the the trailer was released. We see there's going to be a lot of punchy, punchy, fighty, fighty. Uh, I, yeah, I know, right? Surprising. It's still very early on. The movie doesn't come out until May. So, uh, given the way that Marvel and Disney promote their films, we're going to get a, uh, about four more trailers and 116 TV spots. Yep. Between yep. now and release. We will be release. able to piece together the entire movie Here's... on its promotional material. Okay. All right. Look, the movie looks exciting. The movie looks like it's going to be a lot of fun. Uh, there's going to be a lot of great action. But let's be honest. We know how this movie's going to go. <laughs> like, it's pretty obvious. I wrote this up on my Facebook page. Uh, here's how here's what's going to happen i well my hope is that it's going to start with thanos uh attacking the asgardian ship because loki has and if you know you haven't seen the trailer too bad i'm gonna talk about it loki has the tesseract which has one of the cubes uh or one of the cubes one of the 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 stones uh so thanos is going to get the stone from that uh, he's apparently already destroyed Xandar because he has. We see that he has two stones at one point. Uh, one is the purple stone from Xandar, and he's going to have the blue stone from the Tesseract, presumably. Uh, going to get that. Thor is going to get Jettison out into space, where he's going to get picked up by the Guardians of the Galaxy, Galaxy, who I now predict will have the red stone. I don't remember which ones they all are. C- come on, nerds. Uh, then he's going to head to Earth. And it's going to be Thanos collecting his stones for the rest of the movie until the heroes have the last one that they hide in Wakanda. And then big battle uh, takes place. Maybe there's already one in Wakanda because we haven't actually seen all of the stones across think, all the movies yet. Yeah, I don't remember which one is still missing. It's a soul. I don't, I don't think we know where soul is yet. I thought that was the one in Vision's face. No, that's the mind gem. Oh, you're right. The mind. Um... Because it well, allowed Loki to control people's minds and all that. That is true. Um, yeah, so, huh. There was definitely a lot going on in the trailer. I mean, there's definitely more, I think, going on than obviously what they've revealed so far in the trailer. I think there'll be some some curveballs, but I, it will ultimately all amount to, because if this movie truly, if if this really, I know they took off like part part one and two for Infinity War, but... I, I believe Avengers three and four are still kind of tied they together. Were, they were filmed back to back. Yep. Um, so there is going to be some connective tissue from them. I'm predicting this is kind of like the empire strikes back in the sense of that. It kind of ends on a down note. So it'll probably end with most of the heroes losing probably one or two of them being dead. Someone. Yeah. I'll, I'll get into that in a second. Go ahead. Continue. Okay. So, one thing I want to say here is I think it's really funny. People were uh, complaining, and obviously we didn't get a chance to talk about Justice League. I don't want to like take time to like talk about Justice League and all of this because you and I have a lot both to say on either side of the issue. But I feel like a complaint people had was like, well, the villain was looking for the three boxes in order to do the thing. This movie is going to be Thanos looking for the five stones in order to do the thing. Like That's kind of the brand of superhero movies the the villain wants the 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 MacGuffin in order to do the thing. Um, so it's just it's just funny that it looks like there's that p- 
parallel there. Anyway, this movie needs to have stakes. This movie needs, and I don't just mean the world. They need to save the world. They've saved the world like three times. The Guardians of the Galaxy have saved the universe like two or three times. There needs to be stakes that feel real. Like they're for something like the the characters need to be threatened. Uh, of course, the Infinity Gauntlet lets you muddle around in reality and if they just up the stakes from like the world to all of reality that's like not the escalation i'm looking for i'm looking for like i don't want anybody to feel safe because i'm i understand this takes place in quote unquote you know our world except like except it's a fantasy version of the world and i'm not connected to anybody in that world except for the heroes and a couple of civilians who just happen to be like off to the side you know, we're connected to the superheroes. And so if it's about the world, I don't give a rat's ass about the world. I yeah, care let about, it burn. I, I care about these kids. It's, it's Mass Effect 3. I talk about this all the time in 100 examples. Mass Effect 3, the whole point of that game is save Earth. But in Mass Effect 1 and 2, you spend no time on Earth. You're not connected to the Earth of that game. They assume like, oh, yeah, people are going to care about Earth because it's Earth. Like, no, I care more about these alien planets that I've been spending two games on. You know, I care more about these characters that I've been connecting with for 20 movies more than I care about the Earth. That's just kind of my little mini rant there. There needs to be actual stakes. I don't want it to be they save the day and everyone lives. And even if even if it's like, well, they kind of lose, but everyone lives. And the next movie, they save the day and everyone lives and everything's fine. Like, then what the hell are we doing? Right. There, there definitely has to be stakes. And I, I think, I do think that Marvel will deliver on those things. Stakes. I stinks. Um, in the sense that like we, they seem to, at least what they're coming out through their PR machine and all that is that they're, there are a list of characters that they could kill that this is truly designed as an ending of everything that it's, has led up to it. Number four, um, number four is a finale. This is, is a finale. So yeah. it's possible that people won't die in this one. I feel like someone, at least one character will die by the end of this film, but I think multiple characters will be dead by the end of the film. Obviously characters that have just started their, you know, trilogies like Dr. Strange or black Panther or Spider-Man. Uh, are are safe, but really Thor, Captain America, Iron Man, it's, maybe, maybe it's, even the Hulk, see, uh, Hawkeye, yeah, you know Black Widow, Black Widow, because you know you never know they might eventually, sometime between now and the end of the universe, get a Black Widow solo film. Why but would they? Why would they do that? They, they clearly oh, they they have know, haven't had a reason to. But I, I, I'm saying they, I think there's merit to having a Black Widow solo film. It just hasn't happened yet. Right? No, no. I I I mentioned that because on Twitter I kind of. Uh, had a little thing like Kevin Kevin Feige was like, you know, I really wish we had the first, you know, I, I wish we had a movie out before Wonder Woman. I wish we had the first female-led superhero film. No, instead you've released 18 films starring male superheroes. Don't pretend you didn't have the chance. It's just like, really, it's really bothered me that it's, it's by the time that the Captain Marvel film comes out, it will be 2019. The Marvel Cinematic Universe started in 2008. That's 11 years. It took 11 years for a female-led superhero film to come out on the Marvel brand. And that actually kind of pisses me off. It's it's pretty ridiculous. It's taken it's... 10 years to get one starring a person of color. 
that's not great, guys. I love these. I you know I I love these movies. I really enjoy them, but they could be doing so much more. Right, and it's easy to to go to fall back on the like. Well, they've been focusing on like the iconic classic Marvel characters, which, given the time they came out in, were all predominantly white. And I agree, but this isn't the 1960s. We don't have those kind of societal quote unquote self imposed limitations anymore. They could have at any point in the last 10, 11 years. You know, five years ago, six years ago, been like, well, let's introduce Black Panther now. Like, did Black Panther come in in a really cool way in Civil War? Does the Black Panther movie look awesome? Yes. But could it have happened a lot sooner? Also, yes. but could we had have had it in place of Iron Man three, and the world would have been better for it? Yes. The movie Iron Man two. I went back and watched Iron Man three, and actually don't mind it that much. Yeah, I mean, I love Shane Black, so it's like complicated because it's a Shane Black movie. <laughs> Uh, but anyway, in Infinity War, we kind of got off on a thing there. I've had the uh, trailer playing on repeat in the background. Have you really? Yeah, just because I forget everything really quickly. <laughs> of course, it opens with Tony Stark being sad. Yeah, I, I did like... Oh, I'm sorry, actually, it starts... Wait, no, no, it's, yeah, it does start with Tony Stark, Stark being, being sad, sad, and then Bruce and... Banner fell through the Sanctum Sanctorum. And... Sanctum Sanctum So, Sanctorum. I mean, hey, gotcha. so a couple of things, speaking of all that. One, um... We see Captain America with a beard. It's great. Uh, the Hulk wears armor at one point. That's uh, that in the Hulkbuster armor. It's the Hulk wearing it. Wait, I totally missed that. They That's don't, the Hulk in the Hulkbuster armor. They don't show it, but someone like mentioned that to me today. I'm like, oh, that's pretty cool. We finally see what Spidey sense looks like, and I'm super into that. That his hair stands up on its end. I mean, you know, they don't have lightning bolts coming out of his head, but I'm cool with that. Isn't that well? How did they they show it in Tobey Maguire's films? Uh, they they kind of like it in Andrew Garfield's films. I don't even know if it was an Andrew Garfield's film. In the Tobey Maguire ones, it was just like a zoom in on his face and his eyes go wide. Oh, you're right, right, right. And then they would like show stuff around. But yeah, I think it's a nice subtle way to show that like he's sensing something going on. And then he is wearing that new sp- super spider iron suit, mm-hmm. which is funny with the with the end of Homecoming being like, I'm going to stick to being a friendly neighborhood Spider-Man. I mean, I get it with what he's dealing with. But also, I and this is something I mentioned to you earlier, that Marvel doesn't, with the MCU movies, they don't really know how to pace things out. It's just kind of like, yeah, let's. This is happening now, which I, I guess, like, I kind of get it. But it's like the ending of of Thor two and uh, Age of Ultron. You know, Thor's like, I'm gonna go on this big mission to find the Infinity Stones, uh, and then Thor three opens up, and he's like, Oh, I tried finding them, and uh, uh, that didn't really go too well. And oh, hello, Odin. Oh, you're very obviously Loki. Let's just go ahead and resolve all that real quick so we can get on to the rest of the movie. It's a fake, yep, yeah, like uh, Bucky at the end of Civil War. We're gonna go ahead and freeze him. And in this movie, they show Bucky on the front lines of the fight, so literally, he gets busted out of cryo to. To be, which is like cool. Like I'm glad we're seeing more uh, of Winter Soldier, and I'm not saying that him being back so quickly leads credence to the idea that Cap, either in this film or the next film, will die. That's my hope. Um, but I feel like he's the most likely one to die. I, I think like they do. They, there is a chance to do something cool of Cap dying and Bucky taking on the Shield because you know Captain America is kind of a disgraced figure right now. Anyway, I'm upset we're not getting the Purple Nomad suit. 
I'm trying to get over. <laughs> I'm trying to get over it, guys. I really am. That. The only thing is, like, and even Buck, I'm trying to go back and, and remember during the the um, Ed Brubaker, the death of Captain America, and Bucky taking on the Captain America identity. I, I know that Bucky was reluctant then too, given that he was right. a reformed, you know, Soviet or Hydra, whatever assassin. Um, but in, in this, I feel like with the way it's set up, that Bucky would be even less interest, interested in taking on the Captain America mantle. Because at this point, yeah. in, in these films, Cap willingly gave up being Captain America yeah. and walking away from it. So like the idea of like Steve dying and then Bucky being like, I'll be the new Cap. Also, the fact that Bucky's probably still a publicly wanted figure, though that was a plot point in Ed Baker's Captain America run. Um the, I just I don't see him being Captain America without Dude, there being a public outcry of like, okay, who is this guy? It's the MCU. He'll be pardoned in a two-second scene off screen. It doesn't matter. They're just willing to hand wave things. They killed Peggy Carter in a text message. They don't give a crap. They did. They, they did. I mean, Peggy Carter was one of those interesting things where like, she she obviously she she was a good character and an important character. She gained more importance through the TV shows, which obviously, while they quote unquote take place in the same universe, are completely disconnected from it. We're not going to see Daredevil in these movies, guys. Okay, yeah, that, that's that was going to be like my last kind of final thought. It's like, all right, let's amass everybody to save the world, uh, except for everybody working with Coulson, uh, all the Inhumans, and anybody involved in in the Defenders. Just... I'll be very curious. I know we won't see any kind of follow-up. I mean, we might see some post-follow-up. Like, there might be references in future Netflix seasons of, like, that other time that New York got the shit kicked out of it. Though, it looks like... I don't know how... It looks like Thanos' ship shows up in New York or Brooklyn or whatever. Yeah, of course, because Um, nowhere else... Okay, that's not fair with the movies. New York, I think, has only been attacked once publicly in the movies... All the other movies, the only other movie that also took place in New York that I can think of where, okay, Spider-Man, which, you know, they destroyed Coney Island, I think. Uh, Doctor Strange has the Sanctum Sanctuary there, but the final battle takes place in Hong Kong. Hong Kong, yeah. Um, When they mentioned talking Civil War about all the different places that have gone to shit, like Sokovia was the main focus of Age of Ultron. I I know, but it's just like all the characters seem to live in... Well, they're all New Yorkers, yes. Yeah. Which I know, like, that's kind of of, of the time, because like, that's where the people who created these characters lived. You you know, you write what you know, which... Actually, I, don't, I think even only Spider-Man and Captain America are considered New Yorkers. Yeah, but I, in now, Iron Man 1, I think Tony Stark was in he lives California. In, he lives in California. For most of the Iron Man movies, now since his home got destroyed in a really stupid way, uh, he moved to New York. I mean, he did establish the Avengers Tower in New York. Yeah, so they, they were based there for all of one movie. All right, you know, we, and then upstate New York. But, yeah, yeah, we could we could go into this for a long time, but we still have some other news stories uh, we want to get to before we get into I our reviews. Because can't like, get over Purple Bruce Willis, but he's on my screen right now. You know, Thanos. They they still have a lot to do to establish him as a threat. Uh, in in my opinion, they did. They did. He puts on the, the glove. glove. And then punches Iron Man with his non-glove hand. Yeah, that's pretty rad. I do have to say I love that a lot. Um, Also, as a lefty, I appreciate that he's wearing the glove on his left hand. hand. I wonder if that means that that the greatest villain of all the Marvel movies is a left-handed person. 
Well, see, what's what's great too is he he punches him just after putting another stone in the glove. It's going to be a whole thing of like that gloves make you pretty powerful, huh? Yeah, but I don't need it. Punch you right in the face. Uh, but Ultron looked super menacing in the trailers, and he was robot Tony Stark. He he did have some one. I feel like I need to go. I did watch Civil War recently. Now I feel like I need to go back and rewatch Age of Ultron. It's fine. It just it doesn't hold up as well, story wise. Uh, but yeah, Marvel Avengers Infinity War. Nick and I are excited to see it. We're gonna probably see it opening weekend. Uh, but what fun is there in being in just hyping things up? It's more fun to kind of just generally talk and maybe rib a little on uh, on the stuff that we love. Uh, let's go ahead and talk about some more serious news as the co-showrunner of Flash and Supergirl has been fired following investigation of alleged sexual harassment. So Andrew Kreisberg, who has been working on these shows uh, since like near the beginning or at the beginning, uh, has been fired following a corporate investigation. Warner Brothers announced uh, via Variety. And, you know, that's just how life goes. If you're going to be a, a douche, you're going to have to pay the price. They have a really big picture of his face in this article. It's really that's disturbing. Just like, like, hey, guy gets accused of, or fired over uh, an investigation of alleged sexual harassment. And then his face in your yeah. face, which is like, you know, anyway, that's apparently all the commentary I can provide on that. Uh, like it, David said it best, you know. Uh, do do stuff get treated like a douche which honestly is not always how the world works but uh in this case in a sense justice has been served um justice so there is that um we we talked a little bit about the stuff that's going on in the news a couple weeks ago i don't think we really need to, to go on it too much more I think people have a pretty clear understanding of where we stand, where this happens in the comic book industry and clear it's been happening all across the entertainment industry. It should probably happen in other industries, but anyway, um, in other news, uh, there are two more new X-Men ongoing series on the way. Uh, I've read that in my head as I said it as in two new X-Men as in Grant Morrison's new X-Men series. Like he's just going to come back and write two books called new X-Men. Oh, God, be completely I separate wish. books, but both written by Grant Morrison. I wish. Oh, that sounds like such a Grant Morrison idea. He's going to write two books with the same exact name. They're going to have like the same exact cast, but he's just going to tell two completely different stories and say that they're all happening at the same time. He would totally do that. Um, but so basically, the Marvel senior editor Mark Panistia uh, said in a letter column in the of uh, this week's X Men number or sorry X Men Blue number sixteen um, that these two new books are, are in early development. Uh, one is completely unexpected, and the other is a return of a fan favorite. Uh, when he says it in terms of uh, return of a fan favorite, that makes me think that it's a solo book, a solo X-Men book, oh, potentially. I mean, it could be a series where this this fan favorite is like the center of it. Um, so that makes me think it's Adam X, the extreme. Um, do you know the story of Adam X, the extreme, David? No. I'm going to tell it very, very quickly. Uh, Adam X, the extreme is a half human, half she are. Uh, who was allegedly the original third Summers brother. Summers is in Cyclops and Havoc. Um, that's as far as I can go, because I don't really remember a lot. He didn't stick around for very long. And, of course, they revealed that there was a different third Summers brother. But his <laughs> name is Adam X the Extreme, and he wore a backwards baseball cap and I think had, oh, like, knives dude. on his side. 
on the side of his arms. Just on his side, is sticking out of his ribs. Like, who wants to give me <laughs> a hug? Die. Adam X the Extreme. Uh, so I, I'm looking here, and there are currently four to five, and then if you add in the solo titles, like six or seven X-Men books that are currently running. Um, boy, remember a couple years ago when there was like one X-Men book, and we were like, ah, Marvel's trying to kill X-Men, and now it's like, hey, Marvel, Calm down with the X-Men. Uh, I mean, clearly, as comic fans, we are never satisfied. We want less, and then we want more, and we never want just right. And you know, um, I, I, I am saying this as someone, I know there are people who only, like, there are people who only read X-Men books. And maybe this is there will be something in here for those people that will really get them excited. And I, I certainly hope so. But for me, it's like I couldn't even be, know where to begin with X-Men books. I mean, I could probably give you a walkthrough someday if you'd like. Uh, if you're like, if you're interested in just like deep diving back into the world. I mean, I haven't really been keeping up with actually. I can't, I couldn't do shit for you. I don't know <laughs> anything about what's going on. <laughs> I just sent you a picture of Adam X, the extreme, by the way. Okay, cool. Sorry, uh, the, the 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 daggers or whatever are on his shoulders. The, oh, and he's got Wolverine claws. I oh, missed that. This and he's got so, them on his waistband. This is so nineties; it's almost painful. I wish he had been officially the third Summers brother, and I wish that he would lead his own X Men team. I hope he is the fan favorite that's coming back. I am Why now. Does, he has Marvel. like he has simultaneously a mullet and white dreads. Those dreads are just braided. Braided uh, pigtails. That doesn't make it any better. Four pigtails, two of which have little like X. Two of which have this... little X berets on them. God, I wish oh, this I could see it more of like a circle of nerdy people because this would be my Halloween costume. This is also the worst I definitely would get arrested walking down the street trying to wear a bunch of knives all over my this body. This has made me never want to read comic books again. <laughs> hey, hey, every everything has a dark period and adam x was that dark period he Man, is the dark how period. did comics survive the 90s legitimate question but see not only did they survive the 90s but now people that grew up in the 90s are writing comic books now and bringing 90 elements back and trying to say like hey we can do the 90s again but better like oh, we know no, better guys no, no but then they don't they don't because we don't learn oh don't uh, but uh so yep new x-men books on the way who knows when who knows why we'll find out when they get here um this is kind of a weird story i don't really know exactly how to talk about but uh recently uh instated uh marvel editor-in-chief uh cb stavolsky uh is uh dealing with his first quote unquote, controversy um now where it turns out that uh several years ago he wrote some marvel comics under a japanese pseudonym uh, Akira Yoshida. I remember these books coming out, and I mean, like, clearly, I mean, we just found out about this today or whatever. So, like, I, like, it was cool. Like, hey, there's this guy named Akira Yoshida who's writing X Men books because I remember there being a push. I think a push done by CB Sabalski where there was like Kia Asamiya, who was like a major uh, manga manga artist in Japan, was like working on some X Men books. I remember uh, Tetsu no. Tetsunomi Nehi, who did Blame, which is a favorite series of mine, did a Wolverine mini series. There was some other, there was like the whole Marvel manga line, um, which had some interesting stuff in there. 
Um, so I thought that was all part of the same wave. So it's coming out now that C.B. Sabolsky uh, had adopted a Japanese pseudonym to write these books. And here's here's the thing: you there there's there's I think there's plenty of room to have conversations about um, identity fraud or actually I'm going to get into identity fraud, like a cultural appropriation, like how uh, inappropriate it was for him to assume a Japanese pseudonym when he's clearly not Japanese. But really, part of the thing is that he assumed this name because he was a Marvel editor at the time. And at the time, Marvel had a, a rule, a policy where editors could not be writing or creating comics. So he created a pseudonym and then fooled everyone under that pseudonym in order to publish comic books. Yeah. Guys, this story is really weird. <laughs> uh, there's not... He, like, just, he just got in state as the editor-in-chief this week, and this is the first thing that came out. So this is all just like a... Uh... Uh-huh. Yeah. Yeah. And mm-hmm. you know, okay. he's he said like it's in the past. It was it was dumb. Yeah, he said I was young and naive and had a lot to learn back then. This is old news, it's all been dealt with, and I'm hoping to like turn a new page. Like, you know, he did something when he was younger that is super cringy. Like this is you know, for a lot of us who don't have this kind of access to this industry, it is much like you know, I'm going to uh, publish poetry under this like fake name or like here's my, my here's this writing I found online and it's like you know this this person from another country and it's like oh isn't it so cool and it's I'm not giving like really great examples of this um, but it's a dumb thing this guy did and you know uh... there was a, there was another story non-comic related recently where it was like a a sports writer was outed as at the time that they had first started writing sports stories. Um, like they said, like they were a man that they had married, they had kids, but this person was getting, was being thrown to limelight because of like sexually harassed women it came out. I think during all of like this, like this big sexual harassment push that's going or that came out wrong, not a push for sexual harassment, a push against sexual, sexual harassment. harassment. Um, and it turns out that this, this male sports writer was actually a woman that started being the sports writer, started being like a middle-aged sports writer when she was like 14. <laughs> I, you know, I think with this, I don't think he should get fired. Uh, I think we just have to make fun of him for a while about it. And uh, just kind of, I honestly, I don't know. It's weird. It's, it's weird. weird. It's weird. Anything, we just got to shrug our shoulders. and It's the kind of thing that's like unfortunate that it happened, but at the same time, it's also created a dialogue where people are talking about, okay, so a, a white person pretending to be an Asian person was able to get published you know, at Marvel, but now that we're looking at the current playing field, there's a severe lack of Asian or Asian American voices, both writing and, and drawing comic books. So if it's creating a positive dialogue that might bring more people, more Asian or Asian Americans under the fold, uh, then that it, it might have a way of having a positive effect on the industry. Also, uh, kind of awkward, weird, funny story to tell at the uh, office Christmas party that they'll be having in a month or so. Exactly. Um, All right, just do real... you want to lead off on our, or do you have a last thought? Or nope, I just kind of, I'm just kind of real quick because we, you and I are gonna have a lot to say about our reviews. So I just want to go ahead and uh, get through our last news stories real quick, and that is Rock with Modern Life is getting a four-part uh, comic that is debuting next week. We're also getting an animated special coming next year. 
Uh, so people who have that 90s nostalgia, you know, Invader Zim has been out for a while, and uh, now you're going to get a chance to read some Rocco's Modern Life from Boom Studios. I'm glad that Rocco is getting his due, but I really hope Adam X the Extreme gets his due too. Oh, just... good lord, we're gonna just, we're gonna jump right into reviews. To the Batmobile, let's go. All right, as is tradition, Nick, you typically start us off, so why don't you go ahead and jump in? Well, I was going to talk about Batman Creature of the Night number one, but instead no, I just pulled no, up the uh, original no, appearance of Adam X the Extreme no, on Marvel Unlimited. No, so I think I'm just going to read that real quick, let everyone no, sit here in silence, and then we'll we'll talk about it. So, oh, no. what, what you're not you're not letting me you're going to kick me off the show if I don't talk about Batman? Okay, uh, because this show is a totalitarian dictatorship, and we always have to talk about Batman at least once per episode. Uh, I guess I will go back to my original review of Batman Creature of the Night number one. Uh, it was written by Kurt Busiek and drawn by John Paul Leon. Uh, and uh, which, for those that, by the way, um, like ten years ago today, I met Kurt Busiek. Congratulations! So, thank you. That, wow! <laughs> Screw my review. Like, let's talk about Shut your up. past. <laughs> I'm just kidding. That's actually really cool. I'm kind of jealous. Um, which is why I lashed out the way I did. Um, okay, so for those that might not remember, Kurt Busiek also did a book, I, it, was, it was actually with Stuart Amonin, now that I think about it, uh, called Superman's Secret Identity, way, way back when. I'm not looking up the year it happened. You can find it at your local comic shop or on Amazon or something. Uh, it was a great book, and basically the conceit of the book was it's the real world, uh, and we feature, and it focuses on a person in the real world named Clark Kent, Um you know, and how, and what that means about the Superman legacy and the Superman identity. Oh, but it also turns out that he becomes Superman despite existing in the real world. Uh, and I, it's been a long time since I read it. I want to say he got exposed to something from like a meteor. So he wasn't actually from Krypton, but he was coincidentally named Clark Kent um, and gets uh, set up on a blind date with someone who was also coincidentally named Lois Lane. <laughs> it's all funny, um, but it actually was very good. So check it out. Um so Batman Creature of the Night, it's kind of a spiritual follow-up to that where Kurt Busiek does the same thing, but with Batman. Um, so here we follow a young boy named Bruce Wayne Wright. Bruce Wayne White. Rain Wayne <laughs> Wright. It's gonna be it's gonna be a tongue twister. This is gonna be a bad review. Um who, you know, has parents. They're they're not like billionaire, you know, Waynes, but they are uh, relatively affluent. Uh, he also has an uncle Alfred. Uh, his name's not actually Alfred. Do I have it? Uh, his name's Elton uh, Frederick, but uh, Bruce Wayne White calls him Uncle Alfred. Uh, so uh, there's a lot of just like tongue-in-cheek stuff, I guess tongue-in-cheek in the sense that they're winking and nodding at all these references, like overt references to Batman mythology, um, you know, which I feel like I would have appreciated more back when I was first reading Superman's Secret Identity because I was reading that one and I was like, this is so crazy, like how it's like taking place in the real world. I think it really worked for college, Nick. Um, that's not to say that this book isn't actually really well written and constructed. It was just all the winking and nodding was like, oh, like I feel like I know what you're trying to do on every single page. Um, where the book gets interesting, though, is like, as, as this Bruce Wainwright kind of goes through similar motions that like Batman goes through the loss of his parents uh, during a home invasion. Um, in this case, like he doesn't get raised by his uncle Alfred. He gets put in like a boarding school. Um, 
uh, and, and he's like stuck talking to a therapist that's not listening to him. Um, we kind of get an idea of like the psychology of this boy, but where it really opens up is that I thought this was so just going to develop into him kind of putting on a bat suit and running around being crazy or whatever. And maybe it will still get there. But where the story really diverges is that as Bruce is like falling deeper and deeper into this depression and like just wanting to know like what, like who murdered his parents, like what's going on. It turns out this like weird creature has now entered. Oh, by the way, this takes place in Boston. Which definitely adds a few points for it for me because Boston's my uh, home city. Um, so this creature, creature of the night, uh, is now atta- uh, attacking hoodlums in the city, uh, and it all kind of culminates spoilers with like the arrest of like the person that murdered Bruce's family. But that's like where this book gets really interesting is where it's kind of separate, where it's not it doesn't seem like it's going to be Bruce Wainwright as like the titular Batman, um, but this monster that apparently is stalking the Gotham streets. Um, but also, like, is the monster truly real? Because uh, the, the the language in the book kind of alluded to the idea that Bruce Wayne somehow willed this being into existence. Uh, and, like, what that means as far as how the, the fantastical mixes with the mundane. Uh, part of the issues are also narrated by his uncle Alfred, who keeps alluding to, like, shit going down in the future that we haven't seen yet involving Bruce. Like, whatever, however this story kind of explodes is definitely going to whatever Bruce Wainwright's doing is going to kind of get out into the public. Um, so like the first half of the book where they were just kind of winking and nodding at all the, the allusions to, you know, Batman mythology, I was like, cool, but I kind of like kind of forced it on the nose. But once it kind of dovetailed into this like weird bat monster, that's probably man bat that's like stalking the streets and somehow like fulfilling the, the internal wishes of Bruce Wainwright rain, Wayne, Right. It's just stupid. When I say that, it's like it's Hawkeye all over again. Um, you know, it gets it gets really good. So now by the end of the first issue, I'm like, I really want to know what it is that like goes to shit that that has that's that that Alfred, Uncle Alfred will know about and how that might involve this bat monster that Bruce Wainwright has some kind of influence over. Um, yeah, so actually was pretty good. Uh, if you like Batman and Creatures of the Night then you will probably want to check this out. Very cool. Yeah, I definitely want to read this book. Uh, There's another one that I might wait for the trade, though. We shall see. It Uh, is a prestige book. It was like five or six dollars and had like 50 something pages. So, I mean, it's it's a it's a thick it's a thick read. Um, Yeah, I was probably going to check out three or four issues, too. So but you get a lot. You get a lot for your money. I was going to check out maybe the digital version. Uh, But anyway. This week I read, since I'm now like caught up, it was funny because like, I, I got my comics uh, this week and I was sitting down to read Doomsday Clock, which we're going to talk about here in a minute because I, while traveling I didn't get a chance to read it yet. And I just kind of had this thought of like, well, it's like the only thing I can really read. I'm not really caught up on anything else. And I'm like, wait, no, I'm caught up on Killer Be Killed, on Copperhead, and, and of course on Mighty Morphin Power Rangers. So Mighty Morphin Power Rangers number 21 uh kyle higgins is still the writer this issue is uh, illustrated by jonas scharf uh, which is a, a different artist than there's been in past issues this one is picking up uh number 20 we got a story of these power rangers uh who briefly existed during the 60s uh to protect the moon landing essentially well they had to prevent um Rita from being resurrected much earlier than she was. Uh, and Zordon is still missing. 
So we we get that story, and this is the follow up on that of the person who was the Red Ranger at the time. This uh, this woman whose name I cannot remember, uh, who has like devoted her life uh, now to uh, helping the world in the ways that she can. Like she built this whole city where they do research and development on all these different things. Um, and like, you come to find out like she, uh, created like her own Zord. Uh, but it's like, they call it like a, a Mecha Zord since it's not powered by the morphing grid. Anyway, um, Rita and her goons are still at large. Uh, Finster has been a real problem on Earth, and he's been creating monsters that appear human. Uh, and it, now there seems to be this whole issue that they there there are ones who are walking among humanity who don't know that they're monsters, and every once in a while just turn into monsters and start causing chaos. Uh, so they they fight this monster that is on in this like city place that they have captured uh, anyway i'm just kind of vaguely describing what happens here i'm still greatly enjoying this series and this take on the power rangers you know it's kind of hard at times to reconcile this with like the tv show but i guess actually from um, what i understand they are kind of in separate continuities uh or at least I think it's supposed to be everything that happened in the TV show happened in the comics, but what's happening in the comics has not necessarily happened in the TV show, which is fine. Uh, I really like how serious they are taking everything at times. Uh, like there are the, the basic rules of being a power ranger. Number one, never use your power for personal gain. Number two is never escalate a fight unless your enemy forces you to. And in this issue, there is a moment where someone else joins the fight. Who's not a ranger. And, uh, they kind of take things to an extreme and Jason gets upset with them. It's the woman who has a former red ranger. And he's like, you know, you escalated the fight you're breaking the tenements of being a power ranger and it's just like this cool little moment it's it's a small little line but just you know that when they're writing this they're not just like oh what would be like a fun story it's like they are taking into account the lore and 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 taking this stuff seriously and that's really cool to see uh I don't like this artist as much as I like the artist who was working on the book I hopefully they're going to be back um this has a much like more uh, sketch-like quality. There's a lot more lines uh, that I don't necessarily like uh, with the way that this was forming up. Um, overall, it's still really great, I think. Uh, we're probably getting close to the end of the volume here. Uh, and there should be a few volumes out. So if you haven't read this book yet and you were at all a... a fan of the power rangers back in the day but like do yourself a favor and check out this book it's still a quality thing and now nick why don't we go ahead and dive into our discussion on the doomsday clock number one Doom, Not doomsday clock number one uh by jeff johns and gary frank this is the dc event to end all dc events until the next dc event that will end all DC events. Um, but this is actually still a pretty significant one. Like let's, you know, 
however the story itself might shake out, this is a meeting of titans in the sense that the iconic DC universe is going head-to-head with the characters of Alan Moore and Dave Gibbons' Watchmen, considered by many to be a holy grail in comicdom. Um, you know, untouched up until the before Watchmen stuff and after DC realized that as much as people were pissing and moaning, uh, it still sold they well still enough. They still bought like, it. They <laughs> um, have now decided to integrate in some way, not necessarily integrate, um, but collide uh, characters from the Watchmen universe uh, with DC. So right off the bat, what makes this uh, initial issue, really, we can't speak to the whole event yet, of interesting, is that it's, in a lot of ways, an actual sequel to Watchmen. Yes. Now, for those that don't remember, Watchmen ended with um, the dropping of the giant squid monster or whatever on New York, killing millions. Yes, and um, this was a, a thing orchestrated by Adrian Vett. Vett, I'm never sure how to pronounce it. I, Huh? Considered uh, named Ozymandias. I'm just yes, following. Yes, that's him. a superhero name. Yeah, orchestrated in order to bring because the world it was during the um, Cold War. Cold War, and he was trying to find a way to bring the world together. So he forced peace out of fear, and it seemed to work. The world seemed to work together against this external threat. Until did you know? Now that I'm thinking about going back on it, has been quite a while since I watched. A red watchman uh, also watched uh, anyway um that i totally get the idea from like from within the story that like he he created this alien threat that the world's gonna have to band together to to fight and I, we've definitely seen that in other speculative fiction of the world coming together to fight an external threat but did he have like other giant squid monsters prepared to drop on people when they realized that the aliens were never coming back no <laughs> you know, I, I just wonder what the I guess well, they're really the, going to deal with the long term plan was the for logic, him. I think the logic was supposed to be like, oh man, there are aliens out there, and you know these guys uh, obviously either messed things up or, when exposed to our environment, explode and die. Uh, so you know maybe they're not a threat, but we know now that there's alien life, and we've gotta we've gotta make sure that we're ready for it. Yeah, no, I I see what you're saying. I just feel like knowing humanity eventually would be like, well, it's been like 20 years since the last squid monster. I think we can start fighting each other again. I I think that's kind of the point because, I mean, you have that final conversation where Adrian asks Dr. Manhattan, you know, did I do right? Is it over now? And it's like, oh, nothing is ever over. You know, you you, just kind of like you you put a stopgap, but nothing, you know, wars will continue. Fighting will continue. Mm-hmm. And now, you know, I can't remember how many years have passed, but uh, I think they say seven years, seven years. Uh, yeah, it's come out that, hey, the alien was faked and people are really upset. The world is now on the brink of war. In fact, in this issue, war begins and like it seems like nuclear war has begun and everybody uh, not everybody, but the the people that we follow in this book are searching for Dr. Manhattan because he's essentially a god. Right. So the, the new Rorschach mentions that they're trying to find God, which in the Watchmen universe can only really point to Dr. Manhattan. And what finding God will mean, if it will somehow restore peace to the world by bringing him back. Uh, excuse me. Um, and all that, it's... 
uh, remains to be seen. But we can talk. A little, let's get a little bit more into the nitty gritty on the character. So we've got new Rorschach. You're right. People um, people who are worried that like, oh, is they, did they resurrect Rorschach? Like they kind of make it a point that this is a different Rorschach. a different Rorschach. And, and basically, he he reveals this by showing his arm and showing that every. I guess it was public that the previous Rorschach was white. This Rorschach is black. Now is this an? I, I'm trying to think. I don't remember there being that many, if any black characters in the original Watchmen. There were certainly uh, no shown superheroes. Uh, there were a few characters. Uh, it's, oh, God. Is it the... Wait, was it a black guy that was running the newsstand? No, it was... Or there was, was, a, there was like, a, oh, kid. There was a black kid who, like, uh, what kind of hung out at the newsstand. So right, it's going to be him. <laughs> it, it very well might be he's either a complete non-entity or maybe he'll be like a dc character like some some random dc universe like a watchman alternate of a dc character that's like assumed the identity but right now we don't know other than we know it's not the original rorschach it's not walter it's not walter kovacs which this also them showing uh that it is a a black man has completely thrown out my theory immediately what was your theory that it was night owl uh, uh who was also missing um, Ozymandias does... They mentioned he's retired. He's retired, but they don't know where he is. Right. Well, I thought I, the way that Ozzy... I'm just going to call him Ozzy. Kind of mentions fine. it was just that he's retired. Yeah, but I think there's something like nobody knows where Night Owl is. Nobody knows where Silk Spectre is. Um, I, I mean, they're working in the the Owl Cave, whatever it's called. That's where Ozymandias is holed up. But it doesn't seem like he's working there with night owl i mean i guess no, i guess night not. owl could have moved so marionette says so he's alive you're partnered up with night owl and then ozzy comes back and says no he's not uh i hope to learn night owl back but he's retired rorschach's working for me yeah okay okay so yeah i guess it's just kind of mysterious on where he's at um and they they also make a point like this rorschach is different than the original we don't really get to see exactly in what way that means yet uh, he says a cruel one in some respects, but someone who held on to his principles. He was predictable, uncompromising, but this one, uh, and then Rorschach tells him to stop. So there's something about this new Rorschach that is more psychotic. I mean, I don't you know. The first Rorschach was pretty psychotic. Uh, anyway, we obviously, this is a first issue. There is a, a lot of setup here. Uh, in a way, sorry, if you want to continue your points, but I'll, I'll come back to that later. Well, my question here is, at the same time that this was coming out, DC was also pushing uh, the Superman Secret Origin again that came out a few years ago, which was a series by, it was Jeff Johns and Gary Franks, right? I know it was Gary Franks on art. Uh, yeah, it was, it was also written by Jeff Johns. Where were they pushing that? It was just like there was kind of some stuff on Twitter and I think some other places online. Um, I just remember like seeing a bunch of like tweets about pages on um, on Twitter and, you know, some stuff showed up on Reddit. But when they show, you know, when they show like the, the young Superman and all that in this, it looks very much like and I know it's Gary Frank's art. So there's supposed to be some, you know, parallel there. But it really does feel to me reading this like they are looking to uh, pair those two. 
Interesting, because when you get to the end of the issue, they revisit the death of the Kents, which this could all be an elaborate way to bring the Kents back to life after they were killed off in his revised origin with the New 52, which was maintained as far as his his uh, Earth parents being killed when he was a teenager. Mm-hmm. Um, and But they make a point, like literally the last line, well, not the last line, but Jonathan Kent says something to Martha, you know, th- but this is God's plan just before they get uh, sideswiped by a truck and then hit a tree. Uh, and of course, this is all um, this whole thing that there's a, a over a, sh- a shadow over it, you know, with Dr. Manhattan's face on it, so to speak. Um, so there is the idea that Dr. Manhattan has been manipulating the DC universe for some time and that it's possible that the Kent's death is somehow involved in that. Yeah. Manipulation. Yeah. So we, we don't see Dr. Manhattan's book. We don't really see many DC characters. Uh, now, let, let's go ahead back to your point. You would start, When I said this was a lot of setup, you said, in a way. It is, so it, there is setup. This is. I mean, really, it's, it's but setting the up the story. It is in sort of like an in media res kind of way because we spend most of the book meeting New Rorschach and Marionette and Mime, two characters, Marionette and Mime, who I believe have were not part of the original Watchmen. Um, the whole, basically, besides setting up, like, the current tribulations going on in the Watchmen universe is just Rorschach busting these people out of prison and introducing them to uh, Ozzy and then basically saying that this whole plot involves them trying to find God, a.k.a. Dr. Manhattan. And then we finish off with the scene of Superman waking up from a nightmare of his parents being killed, uh, of the night his parents were killed or died, Um uh, talking about how he don't, doesn't think he's ever had a nightmare before. So yeah. that was like the very broad strokes of the whole issue. I, so like there's setup there. It, it was really more of like a mood setup than a lot of story setup. If that makes sense. Yeah. I mean, they, they set up kind of the general, like we're looking for Dr. Manhattan and this is the, the team in the Watchmen world that we're going to follow doing that. And Superman's involved. I mean, I think as a first issue, it is effective uh i liked it <laughs> you know it seems to be getting generally positive review obviously there's some people who are like watchmen is sacred and you can't dare cross it over with the dc universe and and blah 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 um but i am intrigued so far into what they're doing i have not seen anything that is offending my storytelling senses yeah no i'm uh, i don't know maybe we're just we're not uh we don't value artistic integrity enough or whatever, but like, I'm, I'm curious with DC is doing this whole thing with a winking and nod. Like they're not they Yes. And on one hand, they're using the Watchmen characters in a commercial way. Not like they weren't commercial to begin with, mm-hmm. but also like they understand the value of that, of that universe and of that comic. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I mean, and they're intentionally like juxtaposing it against the DC universe. Yeah, the difference I would say of like them creating this versus like a movie sequel out of nowhere is that this is created. And Jeff Johns is a comic book fan. These guys do know and care about comics. It's it's them using it in a way because you know they feel like they have a really good story to tell rather than like, hey, you know what let's let's bring in the the watchman characters and hey you there writer number 17 you go ahead and write it it's like it does right. it it does feel like at least like after this first issue like okay they have something that they're trying to do here that feels genuine to me 
Right. There's th- this isn't the same as before Watchmen, which love or hate. It really was them just saying, how can we capitalize on the Watchmen? Like, let's yes. tell stories set in the past that really no one needs, but might be fun to explore. But at the same time, like, let's milk this IP a bit more. This is this is milking the IP, but it is just it's it's being done in a way where they 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 understand the intentionality of the whole thing. Yeah, they are looking to they're, they're they it seems like they are making the effort to tell a good story. Right. And I support that. And I, you know, there's not really a lot to say in a number one. Gary Frank's art is great. You know, uh, it looks very, you know, this, he is a great guy to carry on the Dave Gibbons uh, art for these characters. I think everybody looks as good now as they did back then. Everybody. I mean, Ozymandias, because he's really the only one we see who was in, um, in Watchmen, at this the Rorschach point. suit looks Rorschach just like classic well. yeah, Rorschach. Yeah. He yeah. doesn't have like the spikes on the shoulder; like he's not like the '90s version of Rorschach. Yeah. Oh, that we, that the Rorschach we need. Oh, um, boy. Also, I like the fact that they, and I wonder how this will, if they're as far as the storytelling structure, they use the nine-panel grid layout that they use in Watchmen. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm wondering, like, is that going to change? Because they they use it. All in the Superman scenes too. Well, it's not that you can't do like nine panel grids because like Tom Kearney has been using them like crazy in his work and within the DC universe. But like, it's something that I know is very well associated with Watchmen. So I'm wondering is like as the story continues and future issues, like are they going to just continue with the nine panel grid throughout the whole thing? I mean, are they going to shake it up? Are we going to get some two panel, two page, uh, two uh, uh, splash pages? Uh-huh. Uh, I'm going to be definitely. This is going to be a book where. So much of it is there's as much the story itself as there is the meta sort yeah. of story that's being told. So I'm going to be keeping an eye on how the storytelling itself evolves over the course of this series. Oh, and uh, let's not forget that Ozymandias has a little baby Lynx. Does he? Yeah. Oh, he does. And didn't he have a full Lynx in the he, original comic? He did, and it gets like exploded with Doctor Manhattan when that's what that's when he tries to defeat Doctor Manhattan. Oh, right, right, right. Yeah, I mean, I've got to go back and read that, I guess. Yeah. But yes, there is a baby Lynx there. Yeah. How cute. So, Doomsday Clock number one, I would say we both enjoyed it, and I'm sure that we will talk about the series as it continues. Nick, do you have anything else you want to add to the discussion before we wrap things up? Uh, I do not. Well, all right, then. We're, we're at the end of the show. Uh I mean, unless you have something burning to recommend, I think we're going to go ahead and forego that this week. Do I ever? <laughs> I, did, I did last show, but but today I, I don't have anything. Yeah, so yeah, sure. yeah. So I don't really have anything to recommend either, unless, uh, you know, if you haven't seen Justice League, go see it for yourself and form your own opinion. Thank you so much, everybody, for checking out the show. You can, of course, reach us at heckyeahcomics at gmail.com. We want to hear your opinion on what we talked about or what you think we should be talking about. If you think we're wasting our time on Doomsday Clock, let us know. And uh, you can also tell us all that on Twitter at heckyeahcomics. Find out more about the show, Uh, heckyeahcomics.com. I don't remember if I mentioned the email in case I didn't, heckyacomics at gmail.com. You can find me on uh, on Twitter under the username Davluz. That is D-A-V-L-U-Z. You can find Nick uh, attempting to reread Watchmen in the stinky basement where he lives. And, of course, you can find us here next week. Same heck yeah time, same heck yeah channel. Until then, goodbye. I'm not going to do that.
the worst episode ever.